Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. scripture today comes to us from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible or in the Bible found there in the pews around you. 1 Kings, chapter 17, going from verses 8 through 24. Hear now these words. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives... I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and the call, to cause the death of my son. But he said to her, give me your son. He took him from her bosom, carried him up into the upper chamber where he was lodging, and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life Come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. 
God of grace and God of mercy, your spirit is in this place today. And as your spirit is speaking, Lord, today, Lord, may we hear that life that is being spoken into us. We pray that you might use your Holy Spirit to transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our, our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. In 2014, I had a chance to do what was number one on my bucket list. I know I've, I've told this before, and uh, some people may think I'm bragging when I say it, but it's not bragging because I just still can't believe I did it. In 2014, I ran the New York City Marathon. And as I had trained and prepared for that race, oh, it was so many hours of preparation, day after day, of eating right and getting everything ready, and I was so excited. But on the day of the race, the winds were blowing at such a high rate. There in New York City, the race begins on Staten Island, and you run across the Ver Verrazano Narrows Bridge. It's a two-mile bridge. Most of it is uphill, and the wind was gusting 20 to 30 miles per hour along the river, and as it was blowing, you couldn't even run straight because the wind was blowing you to the side. In fact, I had bruises on the inside of my ankle from where the wind would blow my foot and almost trip myself, bumping into other people because the wind was so strong. I mean, when it's blowing at 30 to 40 to 50 miles per hour, I mean, it's something. And then once you cross the bridge... You're running into the headwind. And when it's blowing at 60 miles per hour, I mean, it's hard to do anything. And for so on and so on, as the winds continued to increase, I felt like I struggled. And finally, about mile 20, and you know, there's 26.2 miles in the marathon. But about mile 20, I, I was about done. I just had nothing Left, And in fact, it was right about that time that I was able to see my wife and my two sons were there on the side of the road. And after out of all the people that come out to the marathon there, I could see my family and I ran over to where they were on the side of the race course. And I bent over and I said, I'm done. I quit. I've got nothing left. And my son was saying to me, oh, dad, you can do it. You can do it. And I heard my lovely bride say words to me that she, out of her mouth she said, you've only got six more miles. <laughs> six more miles? Do you know how far six more miles are? And I'm sure the expression on my face was probably similar to the expression on her face when she was in labor. And I said, come on, honey, you're almost there. And she looked at me, you get out. <laughs> those, those moments where we think that we're at the very last, where we've got nothing left, we're barely hanging on. Can any of you relate to those kind of moments? Those times that just seems like you're so overwhelmed, so busy, so much stress, everything is upon you, and you feel like you've got nothing left. I tell you, this week... I sort of felt that way a little bit. 
I mean, last Sunday, we had the food truck rodeo, and we had people from all over this community coming onto this campus to be able to enjoy the fellowship with one another. And one of the neat things was, one moment, I think I was carrying a bag of trash down around to the dumpster, but before I could go, somebody said, they, they wanted to introduce themselves to me, and they, they came up and they introduced themselves. They said, this church is the friendliest church I think I've ever seen. I have been welcomed time and time again since I came onto this campus, and we just drove in from the road, didn't know anybody. But they said that this church was such a welcoming place, and they're going to have to come and worship with us sometime. I thought, that's awesome. What a great day we had together. But then Monday came, and I tell you, it felt like the Mondayest of Mondays. You ever have those Mondays? It felt like it was the Mondayest of Mondays of all things. And then Tuesday came, and I just had so many different things going on. And in fact, we had planned a long time ago that we were going to have, as a church staff, we were going to go out to the ball game to go see the Durham Bulls play. And so it was our last opportunity to share this fellowship with Pastor Brad before he transitioned to begin at his other church. And, and so we were looking forward to this, but I had so many things going on that I just thought, I really don't even want to go to the ball game. We've got too many things going on in my life. And Tuesday, it felt like it already had to be Thursday, but it wasn't anywhere close. You ever have those weeks where it feels like there's so much going on and you can't believe? You have to look at the watch or the, on your phone to confirm. It really is only Tuesday. It feels like it's got to be Thursday or Friday. It was one of those weeks where it felt like I was just barely hanging on. You know, we go through those times where it feels like there's so much going on in our lives that we're just barely holding on. And I find that the Spirit still speaks to us. The Spirit in those moments when we feel like we're barely holding on, the Spirit speaks life. The Spirit speaks life and fills us and meets us right where we are, right in that moment. Last week, we started looking at the ways that the Spirit speaks. And last week, we looked at how the Spirit speaks truth through the boldness and the courage that was poured into Elijah. To set up that story once again, Elijah is called by God to go to pronounce that there is going to be a massive drought. Because what has happened is that the king of Israel, Ahab, has taken Jezebel for a wife. And Jezebel, through her influence, has led Ahab and then all of Israel to begin to worshiping the God of Baal. And Baal was identified and believed to be a storm god, the god over the rains. And so they believed that through their worship, Baal would bring forth the rain that would bring forth new life once again. And if Baal was not appeased, that Baal would withhold the rains. And so as the king of Israel... Remember, Israel is a nation to be set apart, to be different, so that the whole world would look upon them and see the ways that God was blessing them, and the whole world would look and believe and come to know in the one true God. And yet, instead of observing that worship of the one true God, they themselves were worshiping Baal. And so God sends Elijah to say, you know what? Your storm God, Baal, has nothing has nothing, for I am pronouncing that from this moment that there will neither be rain nor dew upon the ground until I pronounce it. 
And then God tells him to go off into the wilderness. Now, where we picked up today, just prior to that, God has told him to go into the wilderness, and there he would be by the brook, and he would drink water from the brook. And in the morning, God would send a raven who would bring bread and meat for him to eat. And then in the evening, once again, God would send the ravens to bring bread and meat to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting by a brook and a bread, bread or meat comes to me from a raven... I'm recognizing there's something unique about this experience. That God would send the raven to bring this, but eventually the brook dries up. And so then we get into what we read this morning. And God tells tells Elijah to go. Go to the widow in Zarephath, and she will provide for him. Meeting him right there in his daily needs. Now, I can imagine when you're that dependent upon, if you're that dependent upon a raven to bring you bread and meat in the morning and in the evening and you're drinking from the brook, you're pretty understanding of how dependent you are upon God. And so God has called him to go and he goes and he sees the woman and he asks her to bring him something to drink. And so she goes to bring him something to drink. But then he says, also bring me something to eat, which... It's almost kind of comical. I mean, it's like you're having a guest come to your house and they say, oh, well, you mind going in there and fixing me something to eat? Good hospitality. You probably would do that anyway, but he's forcing his way onto it. But she says to him, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to eat. Remember this drought this has caused this famine. And she says, all I've got is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil And in fact, I'm gathering sticks right now to go back home to make up something for my son and I to eat, and then we will die. She is at the end. She's overwhelmed. Life has reached its finish point. She's done. This is it. And Elijah says to her, go and prepare just as you have said. But the flour and the oil will not run out until the rains come again. And sure enough, that's what happens. Right there in that day-to-day meal, day after day, she continues to have flour. Day after day, she continues to have oil. God is meeting that need in the ordinary day-to-day things. You know, sometimes we get so overwhelmed with our circumstances that we miss out on what God is doing right now in the ordinary. We don't see the way that God is surrounding us with his presence. We don't see the way that God is pouring out into us and the Spirit is speaking life into us because we're so caught up in how much is going on in our lives on the Mondayest of Mondays, on the busiest of Tuesdays. We miss what God is doing right there in that ordinary. You know, there's that old saying, why don't we stop and smell the roses? I have found that one of the things I love the most about spring is I like to plant. I like to try to put flowers into the ground, put seeds. And every day I'd look and try to see what growth has taken place. A couple years ago, I planted a Gerber daisy and I have loved how that That flower will die out over the winter, and it will not even see anything there. But then in the spring, you begin to see something popping forth. And so every day, I love to go and to look and see what God is doing in that moment and that day. And every day, a little bit more begins to burst forth. 
I noticed just this week, I had been looking at this flower every day. Well, not even a flower yet, but I had been looking at this plant every day. And then overnight, there, up out of the ground, comes the first bloom. And it's not even in full bloom yet, but I can see it coming. And every day, I love to look and to see how it's coming into life. When we're so busy that we can't stop and see what God is doing right there around us, that we're missing out on seeing what God is doing in the ordinary, the ways that he's trying to speak life into us. Stop and listen to the birds sing. Stop and take a look at the surroundings around us and see all the ways that God is pouring out his blessings every day. If we don't intentionally look for it, if we don't see God in the ordinary, I think we're going to miss when God does something in the extraordinary. Here, the widow at Zarephath, God provided day after day after day. She was able to see how God was in that ordinary, which led to the moment of seeing God in the extraordinary. As the scripture says, as her, she continued to take care of Elijah. Her son became sick. In fact, her son's illness becomes such that he has no breath within him. And she goes to Elijah because she has recognized the way that God has provided day after day after day. The way that God has met her in the ordinary, in those daily needs. But now she comes to Elijah and says, Oh, have you come just to remind me of my sin? To cause the death? Of my son? She is grieved in this moment. And Elijah takes her son. He takes her son and he takes him up to his room and he places him on the bed. He cries out to God that God would renew his life, pour out his life back into him. And God hears that. And God does the extraordinary. That which was dead is given life once again. I don't think we see that extraordinary though, unless we see that in the ordinary, the way that God meets us here, now, one day at a time, which leads to this restoration of life. In that story, I'm reminded of a friend of mine named Ken. I first got to know Ken on the darkest moment of his life. Ken had lost everything. He had lost his family. He had lost it all due to addiction. And on the day that I met him, Ken was at the very end. He had nothing left. But see, the thing is, when we get to those points that there's nothing left, that's when we surrender most to God. And I was able to see in this life be transformed day by day, one moment at a time, the transformation that God was doing within Ken's life. I remember going to the courthouse with Ken, for Ken had, had committed crimes that he knew he ultimately had to pay the price for. And me and two other friends that had befriended Ken went and sat behind him there in that courtroom. In fact, the judge thought it was quite a curious sight, three of the whitest people in the room sitting behind our brother Ken. In fact, the judge asked to speak to us out in the hallway as he knew a couple of us to find out why we were there with Ken. And we told him we were brothers in Christ, that we had been a part of this relationship together, finding this new life and this new hope. Ultimately, Ken was sentenced to serve time in prison for the crimes that he had committed. 
But when Ken went in those gates, we knew we were sending a missionary. We knew we were sending a person who fully had surrendered to God. We knew that Ken was going into that prison, and we prayed a prayer, a blessing over him in anticipation of what God was going to do in Ken's life. Ken said how he first, when he got there, he would be reading his Bible. He would be offering up prayers, and people would begin to mock him for being a person of faith. But before long, people were coming and asking Ken questions, wanting to know more about what he had been reading. Before long, they were coming to him and asking him to pray for them, to offer up prayers for their families back home. And before long, Ken was able to give witness to what God was doing in his life and could do in theirs. I remember the day that Ken got out, having served his, the completion of his sentence. And I picked up Ken and was taking him to the grocery store because we needed to restock back up his refrigerator and everything so that he could begin to resume life back at home. And as Ken and I are riding in the car, I said to Ken, Ken, you know, Romans 8.28 says that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I said, if we believe Romans 8.28, how has God worked good through this in your life? Ken thought about it for just a moment. Ken said, you know, every day I was there, I knew that God was with me, one day at a time. And I found out while I was there that he is who he says he is. He is the one true God. He is my only source of hope and life. And Ken began to give witness about how one particular situation there in prison as you might would understand if, uh, that there was a disagreement, shall we say, amongst two different groups. A big fight had taken place. And Ken had to make his way through the midst of where this big fight is taking place. And our hands are going, sticks are being swung. And Ken said he just walked through it. And not a single hand touched him. Not a single thing was not, not a bit of harm came upon him. He said he couldn't understand how it happened other than God had led him through. And Ken gave this witness to this life that had been transformed, how God's hand had been upon him. And Ken gave a beautiful witness to that which was dead being made alive. Ken gave this witness to that which in day by day had been transformed and from the ordinary into something extraordinary. Until we see God in those small moments, those day-to-day -day moments that help us hang on just another day, I think we'll miss out on seeing God in those big moments and those extraordinary moments. Today, the Spirit is speaking life into our very being. And as we come to the table, as we come and receive this gift of communion, may we receive the gift of that life that the Spirit is speaking into us. Let us pray. Lord, your Spirit speaks. And today, your Spirit speaks life into us. We may come tired and weary. We may come overwhelmed and oppressed. But may we receive the gift of life that the Spirit is speaking into us so that we might give witness 
testify to the reality of how you are the one true God. So Lord, may we receive this gift today. May we be made whole today through you. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.